Hi, everyone, and welcome to the weekly Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, editorials editor at the Tulsa World. I'm Bob Set, editorial writer and stuff. And the national news has always been talking recently about Twitter, right? Yep. So my prediction, Bob, is that in a year, there will be no Twitter. Or it'll be Twitter, weird Twitter. And I think it'll be gone, and something else will replace it. My kids will have to tell me. But what you are talking about, you're, you're putting out the, the warning flags on TikTok. You're an anti-TikToker. You're an old man. You don't get the TikTok. Well, what's really going on with TikTok? You wrote about that this weekend. Well, first things first, I'm not sure Twitter lasts a week at this point. But, <laughs> Only uh, the hardcore workers, whatever that means. I'm yeah, sorry, exactly. if my boss came in and said, hey, are you going to work hardcore? Yeah, I'm gone. I'm 50. Yeah, that's, uh, my they might, they might have 100 people left there before it's all over, and <laughs> exactly. I don't know how to keep it going. So, But yeah, so I, I kind of went counter thing. Everyone's talking about Twitter, and I went ahead and decided to do something on TikTok. So the app is fun. You know, everybody is basically imitating TikTok now with all the reels on Instagram and Facebook, and Twitter tried to do something that like featured videos to imitate what they've done at TikTok. And it's, they use a, a vertical video format, dance competition or lip sync dance videos, challenges and stuff like that. A lot of fun and everything like that. But there are some things about TikTok that I don't think most people know. Um, for starters, unlike all these other big social media platforms, it is not American. It is, it's not an American-based thing. It's Chinese-based. So a company called ByteDance created TikTok. Um, it had its own version there in China. They merged that with an American company that they bought, and then boom, TikTok is born. So like every other social media platform, they are relentless harvesters of data, of user data. And that has its own concerns. We've talked about that quite a bit with uh, the other social networks and with Google and plenty of other big tech companies. But the real question is who has access to that data? So like say with Facebook, they have their reams and reams of data that they use for targeted ads and stuff like that. You know, essentially we are the product is the, the theme that went down uh, last year when all this started blowing up at Facebook. But the real question is, given the close ties that industry has with government in China, is China getting access to American users' data or anybody else's data? if they so choose. So the people at TikTok are saying that they've kind of firewalled that a little bit, that it doesn't happen or it'd be very unlikely. I don't really know. And some of the evidence pointing toward Chinese government influence on this company can be seen in its moderation policies. So one example that I cited was a, a teenager American uh, the daughter of Afghan immigrants. And she was being socially conscious, you know, in between all these really cool fashion videos that she was, you know, posting on TikTok. 
she was also talking about the, the plight of the, the Uyghurs in China. And if you don't know anything about them, they're a small people group, maybe 20 million Chinese living in the western part of the country, uh, predominantly Muslim, and they have been targeted by the Chinese government for basically what people are describing as ethnocide, trying to re-educate these folks, put them in camps. There may be a million Uyghurs right now in these re-education camps in China. It's a, it's a major deal. So she started putting videos about that and then they started disappearing and then her account was suspended. So she made a pretty big fuss of that uh, on other social media platforms. And that got the people at TikTok to kind of back off from that. But it's not the only thing that they've done. Anything that could be perceived as critical of the Chinese government or the Chinese Communist Party, we've seen TikTok has some very heavy-handed moderation on those things in the past. So how heavy is that right now? Hard to say. We'd have to kind of do a bigger, deeper, more recent dive on that thing to see. But this has become a big enough national security concern uh, in U.S. government circles that they're warning members of Congress, members of the military, uh, TSA, other agencies like that, you know, don't install this device on government or install this app on government devices because we don't need these folks raking in a bunch of data about what you do. And I can see how that would be a, a major concern, you know, at a place like the Pentagon or the National Security Agency or something like that. If you've got data from high ranking people with access to very sensitive information, suddenly just handing over data that could be harvested by a rival foreign government. The, the one thing that was interesting about it, and you kind of touched on it, the one one of the, the areas where the Trump administration and the Biden administration agree on, both have come to the conclusion that TikTok is a possible Trojan horse. Yes. And that is going to be a very difficult sell, I think, particularly to young people, because my teenagers, if they were to hear us, Gen Xers say, hey, you know, there is a problem. They sort of blow it off as you old geezers don't know that's the way it works without really understanding the the ramifications of it and how that works so you know it's it's going to be that that got my attention that two administrations that are completely different in their out view outlook and view on world politics um on policy agree on this particular thing so i think that yeah. that that might have traction there so you know it it is that is going to be interesting and to see what replaces it. Because while I think Twitter Twitter will be gone, there'll be something else replace it. And it'll be interesting to see if, you know, TikTok can find, if there's a, a competitor that can find the same kind of popularity, which is what it is. And it, it very well may. And that's so. been happening on Instagram, you know, with right. Facebook slash Meta. And I know... Different companies do this to each other, but Meta has been extremely aggressive over the years in seeing something that somebody else is doing and then just copying. Just it. trying to do it, right. So you, you saw that with Instagram stories and then later Facebook stories. Well, that's a ripoff of Snapchat. And now we've got reels on Facebook and Instagram. That's a ripoff of, rip off of TikTok. Uh, the hashtags and all that kind of stuff that was driving Twitter traffic 
you saw Meta use that in Facebook and in Instagram, you know. So it's not like people aren't trying to do that. But I would say the, to your point with younger users and younger users are what drive growth in social media platforms. They're generally not going to get on Facebook unless they find some, eh, I got to do this for this utilitarian reason. And they're not really as much on Twitter. You know, they're very, they were very much on Snapchat and now they're just diving into TikTok just because, like I said, those videos are addictive. You can I, sit there yeah, and scroll through them for hours. It. Yeah. I honestly just want to put everything away for a week and just hide from all of my technology for a while. So that's where I'm headed. You, you know, looking back at this past week, I wanted to mention the Cherokee Nation. They've had a lot going on. Some really yeah. cool things, some worthy projects. The one is the opening of a $20 million facility dedicated to the Cherokee language. This is a place where they do not have English there. Everything is in Cherokee from, and they said, even with like exit signs, if, because they didn't want to use English, but they wanted to make sure that non-Cherokee uh speakers would understand where to go they would just put a pictogram so mm -hmm. there are no english words and what's cool is that over these decades it, the nation has through all different administrations dedicated itself to the not only the preservation of the language but to bring the language back into daily use because there are elders who remember hearing the cherokee language you know at the local community center or stores that's where it's going so they have daycare programs, childcare programs starting with infants that include language immersion of Cherokee, all the way up to, you know, adult programs with Cherokee language. And that's a really cool thing to be able to not just preserve a language, but to revive it into this kind of use. And, mm -hmm. and they're putting all this into one, one center. So that was one really cool thing. The other that our editorial board made note of is this push to enact part of a treaty that allowed for the nation to have a non-voting delegate in Congress. And that's never been enacted. And Chief Hoskin made it a priority in 2019. And Kimberly Teehee was a, nominated by him, approved by the Cherokee Council. And they had a hearing in Congress to, to look into this. And when I was looking at it, it looked pretty positive that this might actually happen. And I think it's fantastic that this is a chance because Congress has, you know, obviously notoriously broken every treaty, with every indigenous nation, it seems, for the centuries. Here's a chance to do something right. And then the treaty is easily, it's like from 18, it was the part of the, it was the treaty that led to a, the Trail of Tears. Yeah. And in, in that, in that, I can't even call it an agreement. It was negotiated and it led to this genocide, but it was very clear in there that if the, the nation moved from, you know, there, I think it's Tennessee, wasn't it? Where yeah, there North North Carolina, Tennessee, North Carolina, Tennessee area to Oklahoma, to this territory, the nation would have a delegate and it's never been, never happened. It can happen now. It's pretty, it's online. It's easily found. And I don't know, did you read here, read anything with that congressional hearing? It seems like 
the the people at least involved in that committee were were encouraging, but I don't know what the greater U.S. House will, will view it. Yeah, that's always kind of tricky. I can't see like a good reason not to, because it's not like you're changing the vote count. Um, right. I mean, this is a non-voting member. Now, the person, if you're looking at sort of the those non-voting delegates in um, the territories, they can vote in committees. Right. Yeah. So they have influence in, in legislation. Yeah. And they can speak on the floor of Congress, which would be very helpful when when the House is considering legislation that could affect Indigenous nations to have a delegate yeah. that could get on the floor and speak to that that those kind of things are important. I think so. And I think the general takeaway that I get from both of these topics that you've brought up here is for centuries, you've had this forced assimilation of indigenous peoples, as well as this forced, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, diminishing of their own culture for a long long time now and it seems like you're starting to see some momentum here where the tribes are beginning to claw some of that back it says yes we are going to keep some of our heritage we're going to keep the language alive we're going to teach this to to younger people so it doesn't disappear which would be a tragedy um and then of course like you're saying maybe a little bit more influence on the political side no you don't get a vote on floor votes, but to have influence in the committees, to have your voice there, to work with people on things, and like you said, to have a voice, an indigenous voice in Congress that's not divided between, like say here in Oklahoma, we've got people who are tribal members, but their their aims and their goals may not be specifically tied toward tribal issues. It might be, oh yeah, maybe I should think about that while I've got this laundry list of other constituent and partisan goals in mind. A Cherokee delegate may not have to, to wrestle with that. And it might open the door for other tribes to get delegates in Congress too. Well, and that's, that is an interesting point that it would be unique, a delegate from the Cherokee Nation in the way that other delegates represent a geographic area. So even with, with the territories and non-voting delegates, they're representing all constituents who live in an area where the the, the nation's delegate would be representing a people and those the Cherokee people live all across the country so yes. but the primary interest would be in indigenous peoples in the Cherokee people so so that that was a very encouraging thing that sort of came out of that and another big encouraging thing uh, was the GT Bynum the Tulsa mayor gave his state of the the city and he said we are strong which is, you know, always a good message from, from there. But the mayor's big take, big announcement was a goal of $500 million investment into housing and over the next two years. And specifically to, to diversify the housing options geared for lower to middle income people. Because right now we have a huge homeless increase. Um, it's national, certainly, but in Tulsa, it's pretty pronounced. And we apparently have shelter space that's plentiful. What we don't have are these other types of permanent housing, affordable housing 
from the type of housing where you need supports for people who might have mental health or physical challenges. There's also just, you know, low income. You know, we don't have enough people willing to take a Section 8 voucher. So you could have a low income voucher and no housing stock that'll take it. So there's a push now at, and it's a city priority to put half a billion dollars into this effort. And it, it's good. We need that as a priority because the biggest problem to homelessness is not having homes. So you've run into it trying to find an apartment. I, you know, it's the prices have gone up, inflation's gone up. And right now people just are getting priced out. And I think Tulsa is sort of at a, at a precipice, for lack of a better word, that we don't want to be so gentrified as a city that people can't, you know, we don't want to have these huge gaps. The haves and have-nots get, get worse. And so we have to have enough housing to for, for all the people we have. So I was really um, enthusiastic about that after his, his talk on that. So, and that includes even like eviction prevention, that people who are facing evictions, what options can those families have? Because oftentimes it's a job loss, it's medical debt, it's something, um, you know, what, what can really be done? So, so you're at the same stage of the, the city I was. That was, was, that was my big takeaway. I think it was yours. Were there other things in that, that speech? Well, half a billion dollars is nothing to sneeze at for sure. And I do like how he mentioned that no barrier or low barrier housing, temporary housing for homeless. We have a lack of that. Right. And we have some other types of shelter type of stuff that we have, but we're lacking that. Transitional housing for people who are coming out of homeless, a lack of that. You know, affordable housing, which is in his definition, subsidized like Section 8, a lack of that. And then market rate housing, we got a lack of that. So I like the idea that we're looking at this from a very comprehensive standpoint. We've got increasing prices, increasing demand, low stock across the board. And it is, I saw a headline today and I can't remember exactly which news outlet it was, but it was talking about the fact that, you know, America, a majority of Americans now are working more than one job. So while I'm going to get real snarky here for a second, if you don't mind, while Elon Musk can blow $44 billion on Twitter and then tank it and still have tens of billions of dollars left over, middle-class Americans are having a hard time finding a place to live and working one job to stay in that place to live. This is a problem. So I'm hoping that we get some real solutions on this here in town and start looking at this from a more comprehensive standpoint, because it's a problem. I mean, if you're gonna pinch 80% of the country or whatever it might be uh, to the point where they can't afford to live in the places they're living, we've got a problem here. So well, I like I that. I want to make one point on this is Tulsa historically, when it comes to social net type things, we've leaned on philanthropists. Yeah. That the shelters have been, you know, created and built and supported by philanthropists. So often this city looks to charity for these types of things. And at a certain point, when you have a societal problem in your city, it is on the backs of all of us to help solve that. 
So yeah. people that, and when you look at other cities who have made improvements and made great strides, they invest public dollars. They take a quarter of a cent sales tax. They dedicate other types of taxes to housing, to homelessness. And mm -hmm. Tulsa has not done that. And so I think what this is saying is that Tulsa as a city, if we want to be real about this, we're all going to have to put something in that we can no longer depend on the charity of our great wealthy partners here to carry that burden. Everyone in the public has a responsibility to this. So for me, when I look at 500 million, you know, we are going to have to think of what do we as a public put into this, that we can no longer just go on as if it'll just be taken care of. So Absolutely. I'm glad that the mayor is putting a focus on this. And he's saying, as a public, we have we have to have a public investment in this. You know, public that's private a great investment, point. fine, but we have to, as a public, invest here. Yeah, if we didn't have, you know, large millionaire types, billionaire types donating all these things that we consider public good, think about what we wouldn't have. We wouldn't have river parks because a lot of that's funded privately. There would be all kinds of things to deal with poverty and early education and things like that that we would not have. I mean, it's be there to some extent, but not to what it is without all the stuff. And you were talking about other cities that have dedicated actual money. You know, look at Houston, look at Denver. They are using tax money to help solve a community-wide problem. And I'll tell you something. I mean... We can ignore this at our own peril and out of sight, out of mind, till it's on your doorstep. And then you start getting to find out how real this is and how costly it is. The human cost of this, this is a human crisis. It's not something that's abstract. It's not, oh, we're too far in debt or we need to be more competitive salary-wise. No, this is people's lives we're talking about and the health of our neighborhoods and the health of the city. So... Yeah, I'm encouraged to see what comes of that uh, follow through, kind of important. So we'll be watching right, that. Right. Well, and so in in ending this or moving into the next thing we're going to talk about is Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. It's the best holiday. We've talked about this. Hands down. I love it. You best eat, food. You get to hang out, get to watch football. Great. So we have three really good um, op-eds coming up this weekend. One from Rabbi Mark Bitzerman, who has a really inspiring, I'm saying really a lot, but an inspiring tale of Ellis Island. There's an Ellis Island story he tells that's really sweet. And then another is from our community advisory board member, Sarah Miller, who she talks a little bit about how to reconnect with the idea of gratitude, how to get into that mind space of, because we have our daily crazy lives and especially after the election, everyone's keyed up. So she speaks from her, you know, from herself, how she reconnects to realizing what our blessings are. Mm -hmm. And the other one is from Kevin Harper, who is the CEO or executive director of Food on the Move. And he talks about Tulsa, what he calls Tulsa Strong, which we use that term. But he talks about the generosity he sees this time of year. He works in, you know, hunger issues and how we take care of each other and that type of thing. So, so, you know, it's Thanksgiving. It should be a time of a fellowship and that type of thing. 
for me, when I was thinking of Sarah Miller's, you know, sort of practices on getting back in touch with those kind of things, I start watching streaming services. I want to go back to finding my favorite Thanksgiving episodes, my favorite Thanksgiving movies, which there's only one, one worth saying anything about. So I think I want to ask you what your top Thanksgiving favorites are. And I'll tell you mine because right now, and I, I don't, I will challenge anyone. WKRP in Cincinnati, Turkey Drop. Number <laughs> one, most fun, hilarious thing that'll get you in, in a good mood. Yeah. You thank, thank goodness Is there for anything YouTube. better than that one? No, there's not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's probably one of the best comedy of anything ever done on television. So, yes. So, yeah, we, we kind of spoiled As alert. God we is my witness. To, Can we just say we it? As God huh? is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> so, small spoiler alert. We actually talked about some of the stuff that we want to do on this podcast beforehand. You know, it's not all off the cuff. So, I started thinking about it. Uh, movies, planes, trains, and automobiles. That's my second. That's the second thing I watch. Charlie I Brown I Christmas or Charlie Brown no. Thanksgiving. All right, here's my problem with Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Peppermint Patty is a little much. She's kind of ungrateful. I mean, I'm sorry, but if you have toast and jelly beans and, and what was the other one, popcorn, and she's complaining, what kid complains about that at Thanksgiving? Peppermint Patty, no, I'm done with her. And Lucy, I just I have a problem with them. Peppermint just, Patty's got standards. Peppermint Patty needs, she, first of all, they're all neglected children, clearly, because they have no adults. And those toasters are a hazard. There should have been a fire. But my favorite thing is at the end. So, you know, when they're in the sedan and they're driving away and they're singing, I want a station wagon like that, where they're all like sitting around like they're in a living room pit. Have you ever noticed that? Like the design of the back of Charlie Brown's car. I want that. I want those cars back. Uh, another Thanksgiving movie. Scent of a Woman, Al Pacino. Really? Oh, yeah. It's, there's a Thanksgiving scene in that one that's pretty epic. Mm. And it's just a really good movie. So, And then what I think of holiday season, it all kind of holiday season movies, they all kind of lump together for me, and they're not necessarily holiday related. So what comes to mind for me is all those Lord of the Rings movies, they all came out around the same time. Oh, so you're so you just associate those movies with Thanksgiving. They're yeah, not really well, Thanksgiving these, movies. No, no. I mean, well, Son of a Woman is a Thanksgiving movie. Okay. It is. And not Lord but of the Rings. Now I'm starting to, yeah, Lord of the Rings, it, it, it comes in a season, you know, and we're getting these like every other year. It was kind of a big deal, a thing that happened. And then like, um, not as much for me, but my oldest brother and his son, Every time one of the new Harry Potter films came out, they made a point that those two would go to the movie and watch it together. So, and those movies all also came out around the same time, that Thanksgiving to Christmas window. So that's kind of what I think of with that. Um, I've got some sports stuff too, but we'll get to that in a second. Because I imagine you've got some more Thanksgiving. Well, minor TV shows. Okay, so far away. All the friends... The Friends episodes of Thanksgivings, they're all good. So if you go to Friends, I think it's on HBO Plus, I think. But I like the one with all the Thanksgivings and the one with the football. 
but they have great Thanksgiving episodes. But there's also Bob Newhart over the river and through the woods where he just basically gets drunk with his buddies watching football. Really funny. Um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know, the uh, they are squashing their beefs. I'm a big Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Have you watched that show? I if have. You haven't, there's like 20, 20 seasons. You need to start watching it. But there's also, I mean, remember Cheers? They had the Thanksgiving episode where they're orphans, basically the Thanksgiving orphans, and they have a food fight. There's all kinds of Thanksgiving stuff out there. But there's one I found last year that was really fun. And it, do you like Chris Elliott and Amy Sedaris? Are you sure. fans of them? Okay, sure. so they had a limited comedy series called Thanksgiving. And I think it was filmed in real time, and I thought it was hilarious. But they are parents of this dysfunctional family, and they live in a town called Libertyville. And I thought it was hilarious. It, what pulled me in was the, the motto of this city was, if you're from here, you're home. I don't know. It's just kind of very Chris Elliott. But that's fun. And that's I, I'm not sure where to, to stream all these yet. But I mean, I could go down the whole list. But I, I'm going to spend my weekend going through finding the Everybody Loves Raymond episode where they're all going to have a healthy Thanksgiving. I had a relative try to do that one time. Do not just no, don't. don't don't do the Weight Watchers version no. of your thing. If it's going to be a broccoli cheese casserole Velveeta, just bring the Velveeta in it. I don't need your fake cheese in this stuff. So mm-hmm. just for one day, I'm telling everyone out there, just bring the fat food for one day. Hey, that's how I look at it. Suffer through something else. It's a perfect meal. You got your protein. You got your carb. You got your veggies. You got your fat. What are we complaining about here? It's perfect. Exactly. Leave it alone. You don't want to eat the casserole with all the butter and the cream? Don't eat it. But don't, I mean, my sister, and I love my sister, but she for a while would bring all these desserts and they would be like Weight Watchers type desserts. And they they were not good. Like just bring my pecan pie. Just I'll have a little sliver. It's fine. I don't want, you know, whatever. So, but yeah, but again, football, what's coming up that you're all excited about? What's What's going on there? Well, personally, I'm just excited about the idea of sitting down after a giant meal and basically what I call the dulcet sounds of play-by-play, football game, stuff like that, and just nodding off the la-la land over whoever plays. Because the reality is is that Dallas plays, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. I think the Dallas game itself will be worth watching because it's a good team. And I forget who they're playing, but I think it's a pretty good matchup. But the Lions play every year. The Lions are bad. They're just bad. They've been bad for a long time. I think they haven't haven't been good for a while, but you're still the most irrelevant team in the NFL. And I think that's really sad because, you know, back in the 50s, they were good. (laughs) But you're still going to watch. Still going to watch. You know, it's funny. When I was growing up, yes, all of, especially the guys, my grandfather, uncles, they would, oh, this on my dad's side, we would have this huge Thanksgiving meal. They'd, everyone would be sitting around the living room. And at one point, and we it's got to be sort of the experiment and a joke, they would all fall asleep. Like my grandfather, yeah. the uncles, they would just kind of watch football and fall asleep. But this is back in the day, they had a small house. We had one television. That was all. So the grandkids we were all like, okay, we're going to, but if you change the channel, no, no. Just, it's like an alarm system. Oh, whoa, 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 we can't wait. What do we can't change that? 
And so it got to be a joke where they would fall asleep and we would be like, how fast will, how fast will it take to wake them up if we change the channel? Because it's that sound of football on Thanksgiving that it, it was just like a lullaby. Well, you, you're afraid to miss something. So here's yeah, my thinking yeah. with this. You were asleep. Didn't matter. <laughs> Don't change it. You might miss something. So <laughs> let's have some memories here, some Thanksgiving football memories. Memories of being of... asleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 1993, Dallas Cowboys hosting the Miami Dolphins. Both teams are pretty good. But it's like, it's the old Texas stadium. It's got the hole in the roof. And it was like snowy and icy in the stadium itself. Mm -hmm. Miami is going for a game-winning kick at the end of the game. Dallas blocks it. And this is where the quirks of football rules come into play. Had the Dallas players just left it alone, the game stays tied. They can do whatever. But Leon Lett tries to pick the ball up. And he fumbles it. Miami recovers, and they get to kick it again, and boom, they win. So <laughs> it's a sad thing. The guy's a great player. He was a great player in his day. He was a Super Bowl champion. That's the play people remember Leon Lett for. Second memory. Yes, I've got many of these. This was a few years ago, um, 2015, Thanksgiving. As People might know by watching this podcast, I'm a huge fan of the Denver Broncos, which makes me really, really sad. But going back to the last year when we were truly happy, we're hosting the New England Patriots, defending Super Bowl champions. Peyton Manning is out injured, so they got the backup in there. They play lights out. They are balling out. Goes into overtime. Snow is starting to fall in Denver. C.J. Anderson runs it like 30-something yards, walk-off, game-winning touchdown. We're going bananas. A key win for them going all the way to win the Super Bowl that year. The last time us Denver fans had something to really cheer about. And then, of course, who hasn't had their own little turkey bowl? You know, the guys get together. We got the pigskin. We're out in the yard or out in the park. And, of course, we're not smart by playing like touch or flag football. We're playing tackle football, knocking the fire out of each other. Uh, I got good memories of that, even though my shoulders do not agree with me or my right knee or well, several you know, other for things. Years, my because my mom's side of the family, we had she had four younger brothers and it was a big gathering. We went bowling on Thanksgiving. So we wow. she lived in Stillwater at the time. And so we would eat, wait a little while, and then go bowling. And that, now they, because they were getting up there in age, and that was about what they could handle. But we started, then we stopped doing that a while back, but I kind of thought it'd be fun to revive that. And surprisingly, bowling alleys get, they, they have some traffic on, on Thanksgiving. Like there were, we would go every, every alley or every whatever would be. Every lane full? All the lanes, that's what I was looking for. All the lanes I would be I can full. see this. I can see this. So you, you stuff your face for lunch with turkey and potatoes and dressing. Right. You sleep. You sleep it off. Yeah. You go to the bowling alley. You start bowling. The next thing you know, you're working up an appetite. And, you if, it's get... a, and yes. if they're worth their salt, man, there's going to be pizza. There's going to be pitchers of beer. That we that continued. And then when we got back home, you got the leftovers. You got you got the, the second round, you know, toward, you know, evening. You, know, you got to get another little turkey. Second so. round? Well, not a full, there'd be people going, you know what? I could use a, a little bit more turkey. Or a fourth. 
That'd be the second. We would, they would, they would, we wouldn't have pizza and stuff at the out at the bowling alley. We would just have, they would drink. I didn't drink because it was just big meal like that. I can't add beer on top of all that, but they did, but it was fun. And we would, at one point we wanted, we were tired of just guttering. So we had them put down the, the side, the guardrails. So there's some, we're all grown with the guardrails down on Thanksgiving. And it was hilarious. And when eventually we had like friends come out, we started telling them about it because you know, once the dinner is done, the football's kind of, you're tired of it. It was kind of a fun thing. So you might think of bowling if you're not wanting to like knock your shoulder out. Pepperoni pizza, a bunch of PBRs and bowling. It sounds like a good night to me. Exactly. Whatever makes people happy. So anyway, I hope everyone has a good Thanksgiving. I hope you have a good Thanksgiving, Bob. You too. We're going to be, uh, we have papers next week. We don't have a paper on Thursday because we are all going to have off for the holiday. But we will, so we won't have a podcast next week, but we'll be back the week after. I hope everyone has a good, a good holiday. Peace. See you later.